Welcome to Peeves' Gabfest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meeks. Today, we are analyzing The Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 5, The Whomping Willow. This is minutes 22.15 to about 31 and 11 seconds of the film. Before we start gabbing, a quick spoiler warning, because we will be using our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen, which means we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So, you've been warned, Dickelfirsties. Before we begin, a quick message from the Daily Prophet. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration. Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions. I have tried the grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good. Because it's the last it one. It is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had I think it was like 40 ounce bottle and it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor. Bam! Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water. Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor-packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to, like, use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly. Well, one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Liquid IV believes that Equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com.
Welcome back, listeners. Before we start gabbing, we have a special announcement. We have our first patron. Thank you so much, Karen Thomas, for joining our Patreon. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. (laughs) We're so excited to have you. Um, If you would also like to support our podcast, please go to patreon.com slash pewsesgabfest and consider signing up. Totally. And then you can have your name on our podcast just as long. Yeah. Yeah. Today, we are diving into the Whomping Willow, and I do have thoughts on that, and we will get to that. (laughs) But before we get to the Whomping Willow, we start back at the Weasleys, the burrow, and um, there's a lot of chaos happening in the book that we don't see in the movie. We do get a, a quick line from author about the time, which I appreciated. Um, but what are you guys feeling about that being cut from the film? Is it necessary to see that in the show, or do you want to see it just for more like at the borough? I want to see more of it. Um, you know, I... I'm just I'm always a fan of the world building. I I really like when shows do um a lot of like dialogue and character development even if it's not um the most exciting thing. Um I think that it just makes the story feel so much more full and I like when a show can I think that I think that the Harry Potter series will have the um the correct people managing it and running it and they'll have enough money and everything like they'll be able to pull it off really well but I always like when a show has like a long scene a 15 minute scene of dialogue that's just like one conversation and they just pull it off really well because the acting is really good and um I feel like I'm starting to see that more and more and I don't know if that's just if that's not true or not, or just I'm noticing it more or whatever, but I feel like a lot of shows are getting more comfortable with, um, with just having really, really good kind of slower dialogue. Um, and I, so I'm not saying that I want there to be slow scenes necessarily, but I think that if a show does it well and the acting is good and the writing is good, then it, then having, you know, more scenes of life at the borough is only going to add to, um, like the richness of the full storyline. I'm going to have to say I'm like, I, I like, how do I put this? I would love it if they did this, if they somehow made it work. But as I was reading it, I was kind of just going, yeah, I could see why they would cut this. Like, it made sense, almost, in a sense. And, like, I thought about it in a TV format, and as you have all been seeing, uh, listeners, you kind of realized I've already got a good idea of what the first couple of episodes are already looking like in my head. So my, you know, my episode breakdown is going to be really quick, because I've already, like, added so much of what it looks like into the last couple of episodes. But as I was trying to, like, do this one in my head, I wasn't really... I I kind of was like, you know, if they maybe added a few pieces of dialogue as they're rushing, you know, from the car to the train station at the very beginning of the episode, then yeah, by all means, like I totally would be fine with it. Um 
but at the same time like you know if somebody could make it work i that you know i'm just not seeing cool like let's let's do it but i can i can go both ways i can i can see this not necessarily making it into the show just like it didn't did into the movie this was like the first time where i read something and i was like i don't know if this was important enough to like even make it into the story so i don't know so yeah i'm like both like in the middle right i agree that it it makes sense that it wasn't in the film because we we did get burrow life and we've gotten a lot of burrow life in the book um but to touch on what Meigs was saying i think it's being in a show format um i think it's fine to kind of show that chaotic especially because Meigs wants that comedic show um seeing everybody just like bump into each other on the stairs and running around and even if it's just like very quick um not necessarily montage but quick scene changes just adding to that chaotic feeling um, I think would be just a fun little touch to see in the show, but I totally think it was wise to cut it from the film. So kind of like cheaper by the dozen or like yours, mine and ours, those shows with like the huge family and they're all like getting ready for school and like kind of just like trying to make it to the bus and they're all just like, go, 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 go. And they're all like running around in their bedrooms and stuff and yelling Mm -hmm. at each other. I could see that. I I definitely think that if that was the direction they went with, I think that would be hilarious. Especially if this is the beginning of a new episode, if this whole chapter is one episode, kind of starting that episode off with that chaos. And then that all of that chaos accumulates to Ron and Harry not being able to enter the platform. Um, And that's what kind of like starts the episode. Okay. I fixed it. That, that gave me an idea. I fixed it. So, <laughs> Diagon- so uh, as, as of right now, at, we're at three episodes total. So the first episode was the with the Dursleys and Dobby. Second episode is getting Harry out of the Dursleys and spending life at the Burrow. Third episode is Diagon Alley. At the end of the... Uh, originally, I was like, let's end it there and we'll be done with it and maybe like start the fourth episode with the with the whomping willow stuff but i've corrected it now and instead of it being at the beginning of an episode let's have it at the end of an episode where we have like it's dark they it, we it, the lights coming up the chicken cacaws then they do all that chaos for a little bit they finally drive there they get to the thing And then the episode ends with Harry and Ron crashing into platform nine and three quarters and going, we missed the train. And that's it. That's the cliffhanger. Yep. Hmm. I like it. I I think I'll, I'll think I'll deal with that now. Yeah, I can deal with that. I I definitely wrote for the the very first thing that I I wrote um, when I was taking my notes for chapter five is I want to see the Weasleys getting ready for Hogwarts. Um, More talk about the magic car, Ginny shrieking about the diary, um and yeah i'd love a yeah quick easter egg about her forgetting her diary i think that's it's a it's a missed opportunity i think in the film mm-hmm. to cut that out because when you reread it you're like oh, yeah, exactly. that's riddle's yeah, diary it's not a good call to keep that out um and yeah i mean i i agree with what you said Saturday where it, that 
a whole beginning section of the chapter really like adds to the cumulative franticness that's going on. And so they started out in the film, they started out this part, I think fine. Like they show when they're in the train station and everybody's really frantic and running, running towards the platform and stuff. Like you can tell that the Weasleys and Harry all feel hectic, but um, I think if we had that, it would just, it would not even need to be that long, you know, to add in the, the whole burrow scene of them getting ready and then them riding in the car. So I think they did fine for cutting it out um, in the film. Like it worked out okay. But if they kept it in for the show, I think that that would be really fun to see all of that. So did either of you mention or did either of you notice um, in the book when they do go to the car, Ron uses magic? Yes, I did notice that. So I'm thinking in case anybody has questions about why he didn't get in trouble for using magic. Um, because there's so many witches and wizards at the train station uh, that the ministry doesn't know it's an underage wizard using the magic or can't pinpoint who it is. Because while they may be on the platform nine and three quarters, it's still in the same vicinity. What do you yeah. think? I mean, I think that's an explanation that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just find it interesting that she wrote him using magic after having this whole hoopla in chapter two about not using magic. Well, and I mean, didn't Ron bring up the idea that underage wizards are allowed to use it in case of emergency? He was like trying to quote the exact thing, but he was like, I know that we're underage and we can't use magic, but if it's an emergency, which this feels like an emergency, we we can use magic. So it it sounded like that was the excuse, almost. Is that when he was talking about using the car? Yeah, that was him and Harry discussing, discussing using the car. And he was like, I know, like, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was like, I know we can't use magic, but if it's an emergency, underage wizards can use magic. It's like section 19 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I think, the, I think that's the reasoning behind why he used it. Why he doesn't feel why, like, yeah. I think that's why they got away with him yeah, using I magic agree. outside I mean, it, of I think it is, it is interesting just because of what happened in, in chapter two. But yeah, I think that that's how it's explained. Okay. Well, any other thoughts before we move on yeah. to I, the Ford I, Anglia? I'm like and really the, bothered the about how Mr. and Mrs. Weasley go through the platform yeah. before Ron and Harry. To me, that just seems like why would the adults do that? Why wouldn't they wait till all of the kids go through? And then why wouldn't they go through afterward? And obviously it's so that Harry and Ron get stuck and then they have to fly a car, like obviously. But to me, that just seems like such a, right? um, like that wouldn't happen. What parents, parents like the Weasleys 
Like Molly Weasley would not leave one of her children behind. <laughs> well, first of all, I'll preface this by saying I would not like I would wait for both of my children to go through before I would cross, but that's because I have anxiety and have many, many intrusive thoughts <laughs> about every scenario. But um, in Molly's defense, I would say Harry and Ron have done this before. Yep. There are two minutes from the train leaving and they have a first year that they want to make sure gets on the train and who has never done this before. So they're following her in making sure that everything, you know, goes well with Jenny. Correct. So in my brain, in my mind, Percy went first because he was like, I'm a prefect. I need to get on as soon as possible. I'm already late. Like, I can't believe I'm already like, like I'm this late. I should have been here like 30 minutes ago. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, Mr. Weasley, I think, went next to maybe prevent the train from leaving right away, maybe to make sure that they had time enough to get all the kids on, because that's what I would do if in that situation. I would go in to try and make sure that everything is stopped and that we my kids had enough time to get onto the train and all that stuff. So I would go in first, knowing that my wife would have been taking care of everything else. And then exactly, you know, Fred and George goes, and then exactly like you said, like Mo Molly is like, oh, I need to make sure that Jane is for Janie's first year. We need to make sure she gets on the train. She trusts Harry and Ron enough to be right behind her. And they would have been if Dobby hadn't stopped it. It just was a convenient timing mechanism kind of scenario. I mean, fine. At least to I, me, I that's think... how it made sense. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like, again, if, like, Jim Rowling had to <laughs> give an explanation for it, then what you, what both of you said is what she would say. But it's just, I, even with Ginny being a first year, like, she has Fred, George, Percy, Percy and then Ron could have gone too, who all would have been there to help her go through. And they bring her onto the platform every year. Anyway, you know what I mean. No, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, but she, she has really like four brothers George. and Harry, and they take her to the platform. <laughs> like probably since she's been born. Like so, to yeah. me, I'm just like, Ugh. like it's just such a convenient way for Harry and Ron to be the ones to yeah. get stuck, and that just like irritates me because I feel like it's yeah unrealistic. You know, while we're speaking about people running through a brick mm -hmm. barrier. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this, because there's lots of things that do bother me in the book that I think the show could fix in some way. Do you think there's a way to remedy to, this in the it, show, or do you think I it mean, has to happen this way? Unless, like, the only thing that they could do is, like, have Ginny be, like, screaming to make sure that the, her parents go with her, you know, like – they were trying to like usher Harry and Ron through. And then Ginny was like, no, no, you have yeah. to walk with me or something. Like that's the only thing which would be out of, I feel like out of character for her because there's no way that. What if Ginny, Molly and Arthur go first, followed by yeah, I mean, Percy, also Fred and George, and then Harry and Ron get you stuck. Know, also still be like, the parents like going through before the the kids do but i guess that would make a little bit more sense than just leaving harry and ron behind last like leaving 12 year olds <laughs> in a muggle train station how did the movie do it 
Percy, Fred, and George, Ginny, Molly, and Arthur. So Percy, Fred, and George went first, then Ginny and Molly and Arthur went next. And they probably, did they just say anything to Harry and Ron when they were going through? No, they were really distracted because they were late. And then they saw the boys go through and then they, like, Ginny started walking and they were like, okay, let's go. They didn't say anything. They just had that look in their eye. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if that's better or not. (laughs) But anyways. Well, listeners, let us know if there's a way you would fix this particular. Let us know if you would leave your kid behind. Parenting fail. Which, I mean, I mean, you got to have a realistic, you know, expectation that as a parent, you're going to make mistakes stuff is like that's gonna happen i mean my mom totally uh had her kids disappear and her and she was freaking out trying to find them because you know she has i have five other siblings so when i was growing up there were six of us and we were all very energetic and rambunctious it's kind of hard to keep an eye on all of us at the same time when we were that little Mm -hmm. but you know i have two and it's hard to keep an eye on them So it, it, you know, it, it's, it's realistic to the point that I think that we have to give Molly a little bit of slack, knowing that she was a little bit more focused on one or two other things, and then totally missed this other thing. And she probably does blame herself for ha- leaving them behind and then having them get in trouble like that by taking the car. But I think it's a little realistic to understand that sometimes parents make mistakes; they're not too. They're not too focused on everything all at once all the time. Well, and um, you said she probably blames herself, but I don't think so. Not not in a bad way, but she probably doesn't even know that they couldn't get through. She is coming at it from Minerva McGonagall wrote her a letter saying they drove the car. So she probably just thinks they just took the car out of their own free will. Dumbledore wrote a letter. Minerva didn't tell them it was Dumbledore that told them. I think in the movie it might have been Minerva. This is our first points battle. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do I need to go to HBO? <laughs> I mean, I know in the book that Dumbledore's the one that he said that said that he's writing to their families. Yeah, I, I just watched the I just watched the portion of the film today, and I think I think the film says McGonagall says that. I think that's why it's in my head. But <sighs> any other thoughts no, about King's Cross? No. Okay, so then moving on to the boys taking the car, um, I'm going to let you guys open the floor for you because I definitely have. Many thoughts <laughs> on on them taking the car. Everything from them taking the car to the dramatic train chase to the Whomping Willow itself. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, from this so one. So your thoughts are you guys. your thoughts are more on like the movie kind of thing, not necessarily like what correct. The, the not necessarily the event itself, but the adaptation. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Okay, I see what you're going on now. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I didn't really have too much to comment, and I just read the stuff today and watched the show today, so... Or the movie, sorry. I say show a lot, but... When the show comes out mm-hmm. and we're reviewing the show, you're going to say movie the whole time. I thought it... Yeah. Uh, I have my qualms, but I thought overall... Um, I thought, like, you know, the CGI was okay, <laughs> and, like, the the music with it was good and i thought like if you if you just look at it as a movie yeah i thought it was like fine this could be a question for our movie watch our movie only people how they felt about this scene but i mean obvious obvious i oh yeah definitely i'd like to know um, what they would have thought for the movie only people but i wrote down in my notes obviously I hated this part <laughs> when I was like, when we were going through this scene. So, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, great. I mean, it was to be expected. Let's just say that. And I think again, like the music was good. Yeah. I can't separate myself from the book to say, if I think I can't take what happens in the book out of it. I j- so it's hard for me. To be yeah. like, if, I mean, should we just talk about the like things the that we wish that we'll see in the show? <laughs> yeah, let's dive into it. First of all, in the book, I forget if it's Ron or Harry, but they're like, we need to find the train immediately after they take the car. And in the film, it makes it look like they drove for a while because the invisibility charm wears off and they're like oh well, we should find the train and i'm like you so you've just been flying around for hours aimless aimlessly that's qualm one i wouldn't put it past a couple of 12 year olds to do that so but then how how do they get back on track and the luck. train just happens <laughs> to be there luck <laughs> story armor plot armor whatever that's called yeah it's stupid I mean, even if no one else. I see your point. I do see your point. Like, I've never thought about it that way before when I like comparing the two. But at the same time, like, it's a little realistic from my point of view. But anyways. But no. For two 12-year-olds, I get If they're 12 and their whole goal is to follow the train to Hogwarts, they've never (laughs) flown in a car to Hogwarts before. Like, they've never gone to hogwarts except for by the train like they wouldn't even know where to go like even a 12 year old would be like oh my god we have to find out where to go (laughs) so i don't i agree that i think (laughs) it's unrealistic (laughs) in the book um in chapter two i believe they do mention a compass um which could make sense but the compass is never mentioned in the film so my point still stands um but if they decided they didn't want to find the train in the show at least having compass is a good place to start or some throwaway line or something about the general direction of hogwarts i don't know yeah (laughs) they just wanted to make it more dramatic for the movie which i hate 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 when when movies do that and i i know that that's what they were going for but i um yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah of Speaking course of dramatic 
Let's all say it on three. One, I see where this two, is going. Three. Harry falling out of the car. Harry <laughs> falling out of the car. I saw that I, I was so livid. Like, livid. As a nine-year-old or whatever. Yeah. Okay. In the book, yeah. it says, after several uneventful hours... <laughs> Which I get. Okay, that's boring to film, but did we really yeah. have to go well, a, again, like one eighty opposite end of the spectrum again, here? I even said this. I think that they were just going for like trying to get as many people to be interested in this movie as possible, and so they're gonna like add in all of this dramatic stuff because they do this throughout the whole series. And I think like because I wrote down, I would love to see Ron and Harry laughing while they're in the car and they feel so content and peaceful and like, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then like their or Harry's um, inner monologue is talking about how like the beautiful cityscape and the landscape below, like I want to see that. And I think anyone would want to see that if it's filmed well and if it's written well and the music's good and all of that, like it's going to be super pretty to watch and it's Mm going to be fun and it'll still be interesting that you don't need Harry to, like, are you joking? Like, you don't need him to almost fall out and almost die. Oh, my goodness. As if, like, as if any of us thought, like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Is he going to fall? And and then they just, like, end the series right there. Harry so, Potter. Like, it had no stakes, like, because nobody thought. Yeah. Right. Right. For book two of a seven After 20 minutes, the movie's movie. over. Or, you know, so, like, it's, um, yeah, it just was. It was really cheesy right. and unnecessary and just like thrown in to make it dramatic when they really didn't need to. And I think that oh, yeah. if they do a scene where uh, they don't have to show hours of it, of course, but if they do a whole scene of Harry and Ron just like laughing and talking, because we don't get to see that very much, um, like at all. <laughs> I just had, okay, we love montages, right? And I just had like a rom-com yes montage yes. of Harry and Ron in the amazing. car go through my head. Yeah. <laughs> like in 90s rom-com where it's like something's happening in this um, corner of the TV, but then in this corner of the TV, there's like another really scene funny. happening, yeah, you know, and I mean, it's all like fading in and out. <laughs> yeah. I think that seeing the, that would be seeing the like, you know, boyish joy that Harry and Ron rarely get to have or we rarely get to see because it's all there's always so many problems going on and so I think um getting to see them laughing and talking and and especially Harry feeling content because he never gets to just sit there and feel content um and then uh and then yeah seeing the landscape because that would be really interesting to see like as they're flying over I mean to see ever to see the way that everything changes below them so I think why not show that Yeah. Well, and I, I yeah, to take it a little step further, you're, you're, you're talking about like having them enjoy it. They're triumphant. They're solving their problems. They're going to get to Hogwarts again. It's not so. There's no desperation anymore. But then that will like severely contrast what's coming up next, and have like it makes what's coming up next even more doubly potent. Because they're no longer happy. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're 
the the car is complaining to them now that this is that this was such a long drive and you know that having that and then going in and crashing and then ultimately ending with them being devastated finding out that they got in trouble like having that very peak high joy high like them enjoying themselves and then taking us all the way down and through to them being devastated about what they did because they thought they were they they thought they were awesome we are eventually going to see them showing remorse and guilt and all that other stuff so you can't really truly appreciate the remorse and guilt without the highs of their success and their triumph and their and you know the happy feelings that they're going to get feeling like they accomplished something they solved a problem on their own kind of scenario so i I, you know i agree if that's you know something that they're going to do that would be way more enjoyable than uh than what we saw in the movie and i understand what we saw in the movie like i kind of get why they put it in there but at the same time yeah it was really not necessary yeah um but if they're if I I will say this though, if they do want to put something like that in the show, the p- most perfect opportunity is just Ron saying, "Now we just got to watch out for airplanes," and then have an airplane almost hit them. Like I think that's severe, like closely enough where it's just like it doesn't happen in the book, but it's like a little hilarious comedy before we take this take us back on route like two seconds most. Yeah, I could see now we just have to watch out for and then a cloud moves out of the way and you see an airplane like coming right at them and then they have to like zoom out of the way. Yeah, and it takes like five, ten seconds and we move on back to what not a whole train chase scene and Harry falling out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) A thought I had even as I was reading was like, why didn't they just put the car in the train and just ride the train in the car? Why they had to keep coming down every half an hour to find the train? Because the invisibility thing Who wasn't working, and the they train. were they were afraid of being seen. That's right. They do go through. But can the Muggles see? Well, the they train? do go through the Muggle towns, right? Hmm. I believe so. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> we're so quiet. That's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. We, we we might have to figure we might have to figure that out officially. But from what I understood, they were still in the middle of London. They found the train right away, but they were like, it's a city in the book. It's a city. It's yeah. like there's a bunch of people probably that can see them, and so they went into the clouds and they stayed in the clouds, and then they had to go down and find the train again on a consistent basis. So I I always figured it to be. They were, their invisibility thing failed. They couldn't get close enough to just do that because that did pass through my brain at one point. Why not just land on the train and then just have the train take you the entire way? So it, I, I just always thought the book explained it itself. It's just that they were afraid of being seen, so they stayed in the clouds the entire time and only dipped down a little bit to see where the train was and then go back following the train. Okay, that's fair. It wasn't a big peeve of mine. I was just thinking that would be easier. It would be easier. Okay, are we ready to talk about the Whomping Gorilla? Yeah, I don't have much, <laughs> that much to say um, other than 
I also feel like they made it more dramatic, which is funny because it's about a tree that's trying to kill them. But just like the when the branch like slices through the back window, like right in between their seats and like that, those sort of like precision cuts from the tree. I'm just like, okay. But overall I thought it was funny, like Ron squealing, you know, um, especially because his voice is changing and stuff. Like I thought that they added some, some good comedy into it while that scary thing was happening. So overall I thought it was fine and I thought it was fine for being a movie scene. I mean, they, for what they did, I think they did. I think they did. Okay. Cause for what we were like what we would imagine happening i feel like that would have to be more like cgi uh cgi in kind of scenario but they did a lot more practical effects they had the car being hit so that the actors could react to the the branch slicing through the car was a practical uh a practical thing for for everything so um for the time that it was filmed in and what they did i think they did okay but this just is one of those examples for me to be like, now that we have such cool things going on with technology and CGI and all that stuff, we should be able to have a really epic Whomping Willow railing on this car from multiple directions <laughs> at the same time and let like having them be freaking out kind of scenario. But uh, I never had a problem with the Whomping Willow. I never really thought of it as like too over dramatic. It just felt like a tree was attacking them. But I also liked the little practical that they did, and and the it probably was a little scary for Baby Dan and Baby Rupert to kind of go through that a little bit and be like, "Wow!" They probably weren't prepared. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't, they probably were like, "Just get in the car and react." Yeah, and start hitting the car with all the stuff. I don't know. So. Um, I did also write down Rupert's acting. I thought that his what's happening (laughs) was super cute. And also, um, as they're flying in, before they land in the willow, um, he says, welcome home, which was not in the book, but was added in the film, which I thought just kind of um, drives home. Yeah, I agree. And that reminds me of um, that Hogwarts is Harry's home. Oh, when they when the Weasleys rescue Harry from his window and Ron says, by the way, happy birthday. Like, I think it was like cheesy, you know, and whatever. But I feel like it was a cute additional line to add in because to me that that line showed even with all of the stuff that was going on and Harry wasn't responding and they were worried and they had to fly, steal the car and fly in the middle of the night to go get him. And all, you know, they're all frantic and doing something wrong. but he's ron still knew that harry needed that acknowledgement that like it was his birthday recently and nobody harry didn't know that anybody was acknowledging it basically Mm -hmm. um and so i thought that that was um a cute uh line to be added into the film so it reminds me of this one yeah it just shows how well ron knows harry and knows how he's feeling true best friends was anyone else kind of bothered that in the film he hits the steering wheel twice with his wand and that's what snaps it but in the book it 
it's ha- it's happening um, in the crash. Yeah, I think I think it did bother going, me. I'm trying stop, to remember stop, stop. now. Um, yes, when I like very first watched it, and I think that I did get bothered by that because I was so bothered by every little thing that was different. Um, and so I think I it, I guess it's yeah. one of those like it like why. But they probably added it in, though, to make it really clear to the audience that the wand did snap. Like, they had to show something. They could have... Yeah. Well, and two, after the... he, They still yeah. do the book accurate. Look at my wand. My wand. Look at my wand. Which is from the book. Well, right. So I they think, didn't even have to I add the wand snapping the most about it two is seconds that it earlier. makes it look like Ron's an idiot because he's like smacking his wand on the steering wheel whereas like it's more just that like bad luck happens especially to him as like he already has all all of these insecurities about being the youngest boy in the weasley family and like all of this you know like he already has so many insecurities and so like bad luck a lot of bad luck things like that happen to him and so him hitting the steering wheel just like kind of turns him into a, a joke a little bit um so i think that that's what bothered me the most about it when I first saw it. Um, but I'm sure that they just added that in to like make it really obvious that like his bond broke. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when it's, when it plays such an important part of the story, you kind of have to fit it in somewhere. Um, but I but mean, two seconds later, they do it exactly like the book, and he holds up his his wand. It's snapped. Well, snap, I mean, that, he's also in the book. He's also like hitting the dashboard, saying "stop" with his wand. Like, yeah, both of them are in there. It's just they decided to snap the wand while he's saying "stop, stop, stop." Yeah, I just don't think it instead just, of think it waiting sense. for the crash. Yeah, I think Meeg's kind. Uh, Put, put hit the nail on the head where she says just makes him look like an idiot like he's hitting the steering wheel with, with his wand saying stop stop i get like ron's never been really great with like doing the spells of we as we saw with Gaudium leviosa in the first book and so he's just trying to like frantically make any spell happen you know which i understand that i just think having the wand physically snap by hitting it on the steering wheel instead of being a part of the crash and just ha- ha- having happened to snap was silly, a silly addition. Which, you know, in total is like like a one or two second addition because both of those things happened in the film, like in the book, they just decided to change where the wand snapped. And yeah, that why, creates, you know? that creates like an entirely different meaning because in the book we don't, we don't think it's Ron's fault. It's just, it was part of the accident. That was one of the things that broke. Whereas we, in the movie, we see him snapping it on the, on the, on the steering wheel. And then that makes it look like he was silly for doing that. Like, why'd you do that Ron? Like, obviously Mm -hmm. Wand couldn't take that much of a beating, which I always had a problem with Wands breaking anyways, because I was like, they're like they're the core of wizard magic and making them snap so easily doesn't make sense to me but you know that's another thing entirely so (laughs) 
I have a lot more to talk about when it comes to the willow, but I'm going to save that mm-hmm. for the end of our episode. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. If you guys don't have any more thoughts about the Whomping Willow, we can move on to something we've talked about when we were covering book one. So when we were covering book one, we talked about the fact that Filch found them, Mm -hmm. I believe it's when they had dropped off Norbert and left the invisibility cloak at the top of the tower and he's like oh we are in trouble and we were like that was cut from the film and i was like i specifically remember this and then we talked about it being in the preview from book two and we have now seen this scene (laughs) do you like that this because it was cut from the film and they or from film one sorry they added it here do you like that they added it or do you think snape should have been the ones to find them I I personally feel like it should have been Snape, but I also think that when they made the film, they were make I think they were trying to make Argus Filch a little bit more of a prominent character because of what mm-hmm. happens to Mrs. Norris down the line because mm-hmm. um there are scenes where they're focusing on him him as a character a little bit more closely that didn't make it into the film so i i I think that they had argus filch be the one to find them because they were trying to make him more of a character that had had a presence so that when we see mrs norris get attacked the audience knows who it is and it's not just one random cat it's to a random caretaker it's it's to this guy who doesn't like them and this is how they don't like them kind of scenario I guess um like it they they were able to like fit it all in the way that they wanted to but it's to me it's just too much like puzzle piecing different things and different plot lines and different points together when if they had just stuck with like what was written to begin with then they wouldn't have had to do this um because there was so much that they cut out with Filch in book two overall that they had to like kind of piecemeal things together like you were saying James like they had to they had to push him forward in some way to make him more relevant um, for the rest of the movie. Um, but if they if they just like kept the movie closer to how the book was written, then they wouldn't have to do that. So I mean, to me, like that, adding that line, it 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 wasn't like that big of a deal, like how they changed it, because I because I felt like it it ended up being fine. But I just you know overall, like they just stuck to the script that was already written for them. Then. <laughs> you know, then they wouldn't have had to make all these little changes. And I'm not sure if it's, I mean, I could be wrong necessarily. I'll have to maybe dig a little bit deeper into this when I have some time, but I think it's more that they didn't have, they, they didn't have a script and that it was written in a way. I think this was more editing on the floor because there was a like i'm only getting a grasp of how much was planned to be filmed and wasn't filmed or was filmed and was cut kind of kind of idea they had a lot and apparently 
Um, it just all came, came down to editing. So I really think that the first two movies suffered from over-editing rather than not um, from underwriting, if that makes sense. Uh, so I really think that as I'm learning more and more about the behind the scenes and the special features and stuff like that, it, I think it was just the editing floor. It, it's piecing together these things that they filmed and was written for them and all this other stuff. And then being like, we're going to turn this into a movie that needs to be about this long. Uh, so we got to take this and this and this and this out. Um, because I, I'm not sure if anybody confirmed it, but like the guy who played the fat fryer for the um, the Hufflepuff ghost. He said in an interview that he, for like the first film, had filmed a bunch of scenes, not just for the first movie, but for the following three movies. Mm. And he, he and the other ghosts did that together kind of scenario so that their scenes would be used in following movies, which only ended up being used for the first two movies. Um, because we don't see the ghosts again afterwards. But he like he said that they filmed the Death Day Party. They they filmed like a bunch of other stuff that just ended up not being in the film. Yeah, that does sound like a lot of interesting. Um, you know, post editing choices that were that were interesting, and I'm sure though. Well, maybe okay. I guess I'm not sure. I would imagine that a lot of these people who made these decisions in the way that they filmed things and what they chose to keep in and what they chose to take out and stuff, I'm sure that you know hindsight is 2020 for them, and they're looking back on it, especially after all eight movies came out, and they're probably like, "Oh my goodness, if we went back mm -hmm. and did it again, there are so many things that they probably would have done differently." So, um, you know, they probably thought that they were making totally the best calls at the time but there's just a lot of things that are that feel feel kind of clunky like they were just pieced together strangely and i mean it makes sense when you learn things like that so what about you sarah did, did you want snape to find them or did you want filch to win no i definitely want snape to find them i want them to be talking shit about snape and then he's just like or maybe he's wondering why the two of you flew a car. <laughs> I think that's like Meeks, you always say there's comedy gold in the books and they just skip yeah, right and over they it. add in other things for comedy, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. But there's just there's so much that's already written there that <laughs> is perfect. They don't need to they don't need to change it and add in different stuff. <laughs> Mm -hmm. now i will say i love they included the line yeah. from filch i just wish that had yeah. been included in the first book in the first film like it was in the book <laughs> it's very filchy of a line and i i love it but um no i think that needs to be in season one and yeah. i think state needs to find it them would make more sense if they had kept two. it like that Uh, so we we go down into I am uh, Snape's office and he's yelling at them and saying if you were in my house but you're not blah 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 um, and then McGonagall and Dumbledore arrive. One thing that bothered me I want to get your input on this. 
um, McGonagall says, why didn't you send an owl? And they were like, oh, we didn't think about that. And she's like, clearly you weren't thinking. But like, even if they were to send an owl, doesn't it, like, wouldn't it take a while? I don't know. When while? I suggested that it took a while for the um, the hover charm notification to get there, everybody told me that it should have been instantaneous. So... <laughs> not instantaneous Um, just that it was like hours recovering from the dinner but i mean what were they gonna do in the train station for hours i see both sides of it were like like thinking about it from like either a teacher's perspective or a parent perspective it's like how could you have thought that the best option was to steal a flying car in a muggle train station and fly Mm -hmm. away like how could you have not even thought for a second to just use your owl that you have right there but i can also totally see harry and ron's perspective where they're like oh my god what is happening we've never been in this situation our parents how are they gonna they'll be able to operate but like what if they 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 should have waited like 10 minutes you know to just be like okay Mm -hmm. let's see if mr and mrs weasley operate right to where the car is which is probably exactly what would have happened so i feel like they they did react way too quickly but i can totally see especially in a young brain like panicking and not taking the best course of action yeah no that's exactly how a 12 year old would have acted well, now that we're talking about it, what I would like to see is a little bit more convincing of Ron to Harry to go take the car. Because Harry's originally saying, let's go wait at the car. And Ron's like, the car, let's take the car. And I would like to see him convince Harry a little bit to kind of um, sell us, the viewers, on taking the car as opposed to waiting at the car. Agreed. At the back track. <laughs> No, we can backtrack. Yeah, because Harry, We're the people who talk even about with stuff, the panicky twelve-year-old so. brain, Harry does have quite a level head usually when he's in the field of battle. Um, he does tend to go do the brave thing because he's in Gryffindor, so he might he might tend to be impulsive, like a lot of them would. But but I think overall, like he's pretty um, he's pretty level-headed, whereas Ron doesn't know as well how to act in these types of situations where you have to like be quick on your feet and um in what they considered at that moment a life and death situation and uh so i think yeah i think harry harry would have been a little bit Mm -hmm. more inclined to just like kind of strategize where Ron would have been like a lot more impulsive like he was so i do agree that seeing a little bit more of ron trying to um convince harry would have been a little bit more characteristic for both of them. And I do think that Harry has his moments of impulsivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Harry is very impulsive when it comes down to it, for sure. But I think in this situation, he was more trying to figure out why it was closed and he was less Mm -hmm. worried about missing the train kind of scenario compared to Ron, who was you know probably more of the like scatterbrain what do we do 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 harry was more like aware of his surroundings and like oh the muggles are looking at us we should probably just go wait at the car so we're not causing a scene like and that's like when he says that that's when ron's like the car we can use the car because that's ron's way like 
Ron's way of solving the problem for past things, and Fred and George apparently have taken the car out for things like that too, because uh, he mentions that they had gone like five or six times and then they were never caught, but they take it once and they were caught immediately kind of scenario. Um, so like to Ron, like that's the immediate solution to solve the immediate pro- problem. So he went for it and that kind of scenario. But I definitely do think um, seeing that and having that be a little bit more on the side of Ron saying, hey, we need to take the car. This is the way that we solve the problem. And Harry agreeing instead of kind of just going with it would have been a little bit more realistic. But Harry does have impulse things in certain situations, as we'll find out later. So we finish up the punishment scene in Snape's office and the film kind of ends there. However, in the book, we still have McGonagall bringing the boys sandwiches and other things from the or the feast is over so she brings them sandwiches and then after they eat they go to the common room and Hermione meets up with them and she tells them the new password and they enter the common room (laughs) to a round of applause for the boys Uh, but that was all cut from the film so what kind of thoughts do you have on wanting to see this in the show or that being that reminds me McGonagall with the sandwiches reminds me of later in the series when she um says have a biscuit potter and he's like so thrown off by it um and I feel like throughout the series McGonagall somewhat like occasionally but regularly does something like that that feels out of character for her um And I think that it's just, it's so cute whenever something like that happens. And uh, so I think that this is one of the first times, obviously, because we're only in the second book that we see something like this. And so I think that that's just such an easy thing to add in that, again, adds more depth to her character. Like there's just so many ways that they take out little things like that that seem not important, but they totally are for giving the characters more depth. And so I definitely want to see her giving them sandwiches yeah and i think it you know we've said this before we'll say it again uh but it just kind of makes the characters fall a little flat that they don't show those different dimensions they have on having the sandwiches kind of gives the the two kids to kind of think about what what they did (laughs) and realize the consequences of their actions and like it 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 expand that whole little section just expands the thing through to the point where i'm kind of like i would be okay if this was an episode in and of itself but at the same time like i could also see if they wanted to maybe add a few more things from the next day kind of scenario but like it it's a satisfying emotional mental chapter like there's nothing really big happening it's just the kid the kids were presented with the problem they found a solution they were happy with the solution they had a uh comeuppance where something went wrong and then all of a sudden consequences hit them and they realized what they did and how they're feeling about it and they're not super happy about it even though like other people are celebrating they're still kind of like well this sucks so it's it's a very fulfilling chapter 
because it, it has a beginning and it has an end and there's the highs and the lows kind of scenario. And so uh, I, I could totally see this being an effective episode in of itself without having to add anything else uh, if they wanted to do that. And so I think there's plenty of room for growth and character development and things like that in this in this section of the chapter for not just you know harry and ron but for mcgonagall and for snape and for you know dumbledore and and just the situation in it in its own self so i think uh i think there was a lot of missed opportunity for sure mm -hmm. there's quite a few times that um the common room is like all you know waiting for harry to return or something like that and um, they take that out of the films. And so that would be really fun to keep that added in um, to the show. Well, Meeks, do Let we me have a um, lightning round from you this episode? I do really like um Alan Rickman and his acting of course in it I mean I think that even though you know Alan Rickman isn't exactly who a lot of us imagined Snape was when we were first reading the books long ago um and uh they don't always like keep to right. what, what the dialogue in the book was and all of that I think of course his acting was incredible he was so captivating to watch and it's always fun. Like, cause he's so stoic. Um, so it's really fun when he, when he gets all yelly um, and he got to, he got to mm -hmm. be like that in this scene. So that was really fun. Um, <laughs> and in the book, there was the foreshadowing again um, about Snape being able to read minds. And so however they can add that into the TV show, I think will be important for the foreshadowing for book five. Um, because they did that in the first book as well, but then didn't do anything with that in the film. Again, they probably didn't know that that was important to kind of add in. They just, they made Snape kind of like creepy and, you know, but I think adding in that specific foreshadowing about Snape being able to read minds would be important. Um, and Ron asking about Ginny getting sorted. Like, I just love when, you know, because Ron... You, you don't really think of him as being a very caring person, you know, just like he, he, he can be pretty selfish and stuff, but you know, right. when it comes down to it, he is, he cares a lot about his family and um, they all care about each other. Even if it's you, we don't always get to see tons of examples of it. Um, so I like, I want to make sure that they have that in there for the show. Um, and um, I wrote down, I don't remember why I wrote this down, <laughs> but my notes say losing points and McGonagall almost smiling. Um, well, oh, th that's, that's right. when Harry yes. is like, we yes. didn't start term yet. Definitely so want to you see can't technically take points from us. Harry moments. Um, yes. <laughs> There's lots of times where... Harry and McGonagall mm -hmm. have that sort of relationship where she doesn't want to give him that smile, but he can yeah. tell she she's holding it back. Is, and yeah, um, I I also wrote down in all caps detention because we talked so much about detention. 
<laughs> in the first book about how detention works in the wizarding world while well, it takes weeks for them to get detention actually yeah. given to them. Yes. Um, and it's this it's the same thing in this case because they're right. getting detention but they're not getting detention right away. And we'll have to see it might be in the next chapter. I I remember what mm. the detention is, but I don't remember how much time passes before then. No, I don't think it is. I actually don't think it's even in the but next chapter. But I wrote it down cuz I knew it was an issue. No, because in the next in, in the next chapter mm. we get to meet Gilderoy Lockhart. Yeah. As a professor. Well, and, as and then professor. as they're yep. going up to the common room and um, Hermione's lecturing them as they're walking down the corridors. And I think that that's, um, or no, when they're waiting in front of the portrait hole and, um, or the fat lady, whatever. And um, Hermione is dashing towards them. And I think that that, you know, even that type of a scene is important because it like, it just keeps adding to their characters because the way that they all interact with each other, just in yep. this like short dialogue scene is, is important, you know? And then I also wrote down clapping in the common room. Well, I wrote clapping in the common. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, I think all I have. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, two other little things. So the comedic chops overall, I think, are good. I think that they they started to lighten up in general for this movie, and then it keep they keep adding more comedy stuff as the movies go on. But I thought that they, um, everyone did a good job of besides Dumbledore. He was, I just yeah, he he, he was so flat in the film in this scene, but um, everyone else had good comedy chops. And then uh, what? So even though Alan Rickman did great I think acting in this what I didn't like and I think that this could be solved with um, casting somebody as Snape who's a little bit more aligned with the book's version of Snape so Alan is like he's acting one way and then when McGonagall and Dumbledore come in and he like he like kind of like is pouting and like points at them and said like they broke the the decree for underage sorcery and he, he kind of like turns petty and it doesn't really align with how Alan Rickman typically portrays Snape. Um, and so I just don't like that. But that kind of mm -hmm. pettiness feels a lot more like the book version of Snape. So I don't love that choice in the film just because I feel like it doesn't right. totally make sense for the way Alan Rickman is playing the character. But I, it's not like I disliked the scene or anything like that or thought he did a bad job. I just, I, that's how it was written. Um, and so hopefully with the, the TV show version of Snape, it'll be a little, a little more characteristic, I guess. Well, in the movie, it was making mm -hmm. it feel like he was trying to secretly get them yeah. expelled. And then McGonagall and Dumbledore just yeah. show up. And he was like, they did this. And then they kind of, but in the book, in the book he was like i need to go get the person who is in charge of expelling you and and that kind of stuff. like so i always felt like snape was trying to like get them in trouble without like the knowledge of dumbledore mcgonagall and being like i'm gonna take this opportunity to like scare you or like kick you out of uh kick you out of the thing like kick you out of hogwarts altogether kind of scenario but then be like Oh, the headmaster's here. Like, I've got to explain why I didn't yeah. get McGonagall right away or something like that. Kind of like, he felt like he was covering his tracks almost. 
and like that's obviously not what's happening in the book he's like he's excited and he goes and gets mcgonagall and says you guys are gonna get it now like it's two completely different scenarios and i really think that the movie didn't really do a good Mm. job in that it felt like too many mixed messages happening at once Do you want okay. to know another mixed message that the movie did that you guys don't know of? Sure. What? There is a uh, deleted scene. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, the deleted scene is like 10 seconds long, but it's when everybody leaves and Harry and Ron are going oh, yeah. to their dormitory and Harry notices on the floor that there's a letter. He goes in and picks it up and gives it to Filch and he's like hey I think this is yours and Filch is like like looks at it and he's like oh crap and like grabs it and like hides it like quickly Hmm. talk about mixed messages and all because no one's gonna know what that means like you if you just watch the movie and you're kind of just finishing it off that never Mm -hmm. gets referenced to in any of the other deleted scenes it never gets referenced to in the extended version of the film. It never gets referenced to in the film. Yeah. But I, we know yeah. what that letter I, is. That's the one that I watched too. Right. And I was just like, yeah, interesting. Why? Actually, I wrote, I did write that down and I missed it. Um, like, why, why add that in? If you, that's the only time that you're going to like have anything be about it, don't add it in. Well, and why cut that to begin with? Because it's such an important piece to why he thinks mm. it's Harry that petrifies the cat later. Right. Because yeah. he saw that he's a squib. And I think that's what they were trying to do, but there's no right. other deleted scene referencing that letter or referencing uh, Filch accusing Harry of being uh, being after him kind of scenario. It's yeah. just, that's it. They, they bring it in for that one little thing, leave it. And- well, I wonder if it was in the script, but then they had cut it later on, but had already filmed this piece. So it ended up being a deleted scene, but didn't even film anything later. Well, that's the thing. This is an additional scene in the movie, which is why. Right. But they had already it filmed it before they cut the later piece. So they have this as a deleted scene. Because they cut the later piece, even though they had already filmed this piece. So they just cut that filmed scene. No, but like, so in the extended version, it's an actual movie. Like, they have added the deleted scenes, and it's all part of one thing. So you watch it from beginning to end. Right. Meigs watched that version yeah. on Peacock, right? Yeah, so it's, like, it's in the movie, and it doesn't reference anything else. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a random little scene in in the in the middle of the movie that doesn't have any reference to it whatsoever throughout the rest of the film, even with the additional deleted scenes that they added into the film for the extended version, which is why it's a meaningless little scene that like why did they take that ten seconds and re-add it into the movie if it doesn't have any meaning to it? Sure. Because all the rest of the deleted scenes up to this point had meaning and had purpose. This is the first one that doesn't even make sense on why they even put it back into the film. Yeah. You got me there. I don't, but they probably filmed it in the first place because maybe they had the 
intention on having that story thread, but I don't know why they would add it back in for the extended version unless they just it was a pretty poor had choice, footage to put in. I guess you know? movie I watchers <laughs> that would be the next question that we have for you because that I would have no idea what was going on if I didn't you know, if I hadn't read the books. But it wasn't in the theatrical cut. How many people no, are actually watching this on yeah, Peacock? I don't know, but also, why did they That's have a it good in right here too? It was like thrown in in such like a haphazard section of the movie too. It's like, <sighs> yeah, it's not even in the is book. It, is it? Are they in Snape's office in the film, or are they in? Filch's yeah, they're office? in Snape's office in the oh. film. It's the potions classroom. Um, it's the dungeons. Yeah, I don't. It's like green it and gray and damp and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, it was such a, like a bummer thing to end on, but I had to bring it up because I'm the deleted scenes yeah. guy, you know, and it's technically well, put- a deleted scene, and so it's just like, but it doesn't make any sense or bring anything to the film whatsoever. Yeah. Let's bring the mood back up and talk about our peace pleasures. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> there are none. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my peace pleasure for the adaptation itself would be the practical effects of the Whomping Willow. I really liked it. I really think it was um, comparing to what they could have done. I really think like it, it did a really good job and I really like the practical effects thing. I'm, I'm a really big sucker for if you can do it practical, like do it practical because yeah. there's just something magical about that. That's why I kind of like WandaVision for a lot because a lot of the stuff that they did earlier were very practical. They did it back when how they would have done back in those that time period right. when they filmed those shows and that, that stuff is always fun for me. And so CGI can do a lot and CGI um, is probably the route they're going to go with the show, but I really do hope they maybe leave a little bit of room for practicality for some things. Um, because there's just something about the realism that brings it to it. And I, I, I liked that part of the, of this. Uh, mine, I also so, liked the CGI. That's um, mine. Just in general, while you were talking about practical effects. So I, I liked the this whole scene. There was a lot of CGI, a lot of practical effects stuff that they had to do. And I think that they did a good job, especially for the early 2000s. Um, and then I also just really liked the music with it. Um, you know, there's a lot of negative things that we said about the <laughs> adaptation overall because they like they just change so much stuff. But I think that if you look at it just as a movie, I think that it was put together in a pleasing way, and they almost always totally kill it with the music. So that's mine. Hmm. I didn't have much, so I went with. <laughs> Professor McGonagall, her costume design is always great. And I love that Dame Maggie Smith, in the book, there's a line where Harry is like, I didn't know her mouth could be a thinner line or something along those lines. And I thought that Maggie Smith really, like, emoted that. Like, her mouth was so tight and you could tell how stern she was. Um, So I'm going to give her my pleasure this week. 
Awesome. Okay, peeves, peeves. I love how we're like, let's bring the mood up, and it kind of barely go went back up. down. <laughs> Can I go way back down? Uh, I really so. So yeah, my PSPs is gonna have to be, well, because I really hated that extended scene. But my PSP is so is that scene in general with Snape. It feel it just feels it 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 just feels so out of character, out of place, out of line. It feels like he's trying to secretly get rid of them or secretly punish them. He's trying to like bend the rules to get him. His, get his, get his way. He's trying to not involve the other teachers because he knows he's not supposed to be doing it. It all just doesn't really add up to what's going on, and it doesn't fit. And I always struggle with out of character situations like that, where it's very obvious that this doesn't match what we've been consistently getting before. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back and reverts to the actual Snape that we've been getting on a consistent basis from the first movie and onwards. Like, it's like that one scene is its own little random bubble in the middle of a in the middle of a story arc for a character, and it just it's like a speed bump. You're going at a good pace, at like a good 30, 40 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden this bump comes out of nowhere and like hits you, and you're kind of just like, whoa, where did that come from? And it like jerks you for the rest of the ride, and you're kind of just like. Wow, that was terrible. And so I just, it just makes me so upset that that's the, that's the feeling that they got. And that's the feeling that they went on and they got rid of the consistency just for that little thing to try something out. And then they just never attached to it again. If they tried to make it work somehow, maybe I could justify it. But it was like, nope, we're going to do it this way and this way only. And I changed my mind for the rest of the film. So it's it makes me upset. Um, mine, <laughs> obviously the car scene that was like my biggest. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And so, um, there's lots of lots of things, obviously, that we've already covered about the peeves that we have about this adaptation. But the car scene is um, the biggest peeve for me. Okay, so um, I've always, always loved weeping willow trees. I think they're beautiful. I've always romanticized sitting under a weeping willow, reading a book. I just love how they drape. They're beautiful trees. When I read Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for the first time, I, of course, imagine the whomping willow is a weeping willow. (laughs) And... The design of the Whomping Willow in this movie is horrendous. <laughs> I have to say, that's a little unexpected. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> well, I don't, I've always, and it probably stems back from Grandmother Willow in Pocahontas. I don't know. I've just always been fascinated. I've always wanted a Weeping Willow in my backyard or front yard, wherever, I don't care, to just have a little bench and read underneath the willow. If you're not um, familiar with a weeping willow, um, 
it's a big tree and the leaves just, they're very long spaghetti-like leaves that come down and they're just really cool trees. I remember one time I was probably around nine years old and my parents were buying a new house and there was one house that had a weeping willow and I begged them to buy that house so that we could have a weeping willow. Um, We did not buy that house. Um, So I just, when the movie came out, I remember being so disappointed in the design of the whomping willow. I mean, it's it's bald. (laughs) It's just a big, bald, bulky tree and I hate it. I've always hated it. I will... I will forever hate it. And I really hope that the show, if it's not a weeping willow, I don't know. I don't think there's other types of willows besides, you know, the magical um, wizard willow. But um, I'd really like a more magical, mystical, weeping willow style tree in the show. That's all. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Okay, moving on to our salute. Oh, yeah, that's me. Um, Let's see. My salute. I don't know. So there's there's a good amount of stuff that makes a like that that I liked from the book. And but nothing really kind of stood out to me other than like the 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 story plot I was explaining, like the highs and the lows. So I guess really that's probably what I'm going to salute. But since I've already really kind of went into deep discussion about that already, I'm kind of just going to leave it there. So my Weasley salute this time around is going to be that. And it's throughout the rest of the episode. So for the first time ever, it's going to be super short. Um, okay. My salute is just Harry and Ron. Well, baby Dan and baby Rupert and their acting. I think, um, I think they, got to showcase some range in this part of the movie and I thought that it was really cute and they did a really good job and it was fun to watch them. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, my salute is Rupert's what's happening (laughs) in the willow tree. Yeah. It makes me laugh every time. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Peeves Gapfest. <laughs> and thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we will be discussing Chapter 6, Gilderoy Lockhart. This is minute 31 to about 38 and 33 seconds of the film. James, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me at James M. Beltran at um, TikTok and Instagram, uh, where you can kind of see what I'm doing there, which currently isn't a lot. I'm still in the works of it. Had a very busy last couple of months, um, but hopefully we'll get that started and you can kind of see what I'm doing on those platforms. And you can find me, Meegs, mainly on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all my other projects. 
And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcd, that's M-C-D-E-E. And you can find my other projects linked there as well. And if you're listening and you're into Marvel, please check out Fantasy Heroes. Registration is open for 2024 now. And you can follow the Instagram and you can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at Peeves' Gap Fest. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And please, please, please leave a five-star review. If you're as mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Gapfest. If you have any feedback, please leave us a voicemail. We've yet to receive a voicemail at 409-422-3378 that's 409 gabfest or you can email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com also come join the discussion in our facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash peevesisgabfest until next time nickel thirsties